you know, I've become an expert. Since I've been away, and since I was in Hong Kong for those five days, all of a sudden I've become a pseudo-expert on coronavirus. I'm glad you've been so understanding, so thank you. What's going on there? She just wanted to check in. This is someone from- Multnomah County Health Department. Just, so someone knew you had come back from China. Because yeah. Border Patrol or TSA or Customs had contacted them. Right. So, you know, someone here who's been flagged. That's amazing. So, um, okay. This is the Walk-Ins Welcome pod. Uh, I'm recording already. It's Michael Russell. Hi, this is Gary the Foodie, Gary Okazaki. Hi, everybody. You were in China. I was not in China. You were. You were. Uh, I was in cav- China for cavorting. two hours. You were cavorting with bats at a public market in uh, Wuhan. Wuhan, right? <laughs> this has been a very interesting two-week trip to Asia. Uh, I'm assuming you weren't recording when I was on the phone with the Multnomah County Health Department. Some of it, yeah. I got a taste of that. Okay, yeah. So I didn't get the good parts though. I I came back from Seoul and Hong Kong yesterday, which is February 6th, I think. Yeah. And I got flagged by the CDC, Center for Disease Control, yeah. TSA, and Border Patrol Customs yesterday at SeaTac, wow. Seattle. Because I flew in, because I spent two hours in the Shanghai airport on January 24th, Shanghai time, January 23rd. Get that, TSA, January 23rd, um, <laughs> Portland time. And it's a 14 day incubation period. They took my temperature yesterday at CDC, uh, the CDC office, temporary office at SeaTac. Were, they, were they worried about the livestock you had in your suitcase? Or the bat that I ate in Wuhan? <laughs> bat is a delicacy and at so the Shanghai it, airport. So now I'm in the system. Yeah. Um, so I just got the phone with the Multnomah County Health Department. And I explained to them my situation and that this is the 15th day and I'm fine. Um, you look, you look okay. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say great, Thank but, you. but <laughs> you look fine. It's, it was, you know, being Hong Kong and China obviously are very affiliated. They don't have, they have a weird relationship with each other. The people in Hong Kong basically hate mainland China, mm. but it was, it was interesting being there those five days during this coronavirus outbreak and the start of Chinese New Year. I mean... I so, feel- so Hong Kong was a British colony for a long time. Yeah. Now it's like a special economic zone, and it's supposed to become a part of greater China officially in every respect by 2046. But a lot of the citizens of Hong Kong right now are unhappy about that. They're protesting, and they're trying to assert their independence. So that was going on before you left. Now you're on the plane, and a bat bites... A pig and someone eats the pig and now everyone's got coronavirus 31,000 plus as of today and they're about 659 deaths which is a 2% fatality rate SARS there are fewer cases of SARS than the current 31,000 who have coronavirus and about there's about a 10% fatality rate with SARS MERS is another virus outbreak that had a much higher fatality rate I think it was around 33, again, I'm not an expert. I think I'm playing one on podcast. But it's like 33%, 40, 50% fatality rate. No, you're not but fooling it was anybody. Like, but it was like a small number of MERS cases, relatively speaking. Um, I do check 
uh, South China Morning Post every day to find out what the what the count is for recoveries, deaths, and overall number of new cases and overall cases. Because I'm now I'm now I'm deeply involved and I'm very in, not I'm very invested in what's going on here. Well, yeah. Because, as oh, as patient zero, you probably should be <laughs> <laughs> know what's going on with you. I was it was it was kind of frightening. During those, it was only, I was only in China. I, I was only in Hong Kong for five days, but like schools were going to be closed for the foreseeable future. They closed Disneyland in in Hong Kong. They closed all major lunar uh, holiday uh, celebrations. Wow! It, it was, I, and people in Hong Kong about ninety nine percent of the people in Hong Kong were wearing masks. I'm not sure how how what it would what masks. Do I was wearing a mask, by the way, before I left Peak Chow and Senyang Park. Literally, like the day before, told me about this. Like I had no idea whatsoever. Just the people wear masks. I mean, they wear masks even when there's not. No, but I didn't know about this outbreak of coronavirus. I, I had oh, no idea. Oh, they told you about it. They told me about it, and like. Was, did they also tell you that the if, unless you get the N95 fitted to your face, the masks are pretty much useless? <laughs> I'm not sure. Is it, well, I think it has to be fitted right. I don't know. I know how how airborne is this coronavirus anyway? <laughs> I think it's. I think a lot of it is probably pretty psychological. But I went out and bought a bunch of masks like the day before I left, and I took it with me. And yes, I wore them. Good for you. Um, at least in Hong Kong, I didn't in Seoul very much, very little. But it. it I mean, it, it is killing the, the the protests killed was killing the Hong Kong economy and then you add this on top of it it's like you know double nails in a coffin and i feel mm-hmm. ridiculously bad uh for hong kong and macau They're, they closed the casinos in macau for yeah, two I weeks saw that. that's crazy i mean th- during a busy time of the year even if they kept them open who's gonna go into those casinos because you know the, most of the big money comes from mainland china they're not getting out so it's just absolutely Freaky and strange, and I—I I, was—I mean, sure, I was concerned. I didn't know if it would spread to the United States by the time I got back, and so far it hasn't really. I don't know how many cases there are in the United States. Maybe didn't twelve you say to 12? fifteen. Yeah, isolated. twelve to fifteen. The first one reported, I think, was in Seattle, Washington. Maybe someone traveling back from yeah, China. Wuhan. Mm. Yeah, Wuhan. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just don't want to be in the system anymore. But yeah. I'm in the system. Well, I'm now I'm worried, man. I should have put you in a bubble before you got here. <laughs> I'm going to be mad at you if you're sick and then I get sick. No, oh. I'm, it's the 15th day, man. Oh, well. Welcome back. Thank uh, you. You went to Hong Kong. You went to Seoul. Those were the two big destinations on your Asia trip? Yes. Yeah. So I've been to both those countries. Um, I haven't been to all the restaurants you've been to, although I did eat a lot at higher-end restaurants in Seoul. Do you want to start by talking a bit about Seoul then? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I ate at most of the two and three Michelin-starred restaurants in Seoul. I found them. I found I found the execution to be fairly high at each place I went to, which isn't surprising. Um, there was only really one bad, terrible restaurant that deserved no love whatsoever from Michelin, but also, but unfortunately has a star. It was truly. A god awful meal. Wow. What was which one was that? Dosa. Mm. It's called Dosa by Akira Bach. Hmm. And Akira Bach is this Las Vegas chef who I've met before 
back in 2010, 2009. I'd see him at Yellowtail, his Bellagio restaurant, and uh, yeah, he got a star. I think, oh, he moved, you know, he opened a couple of restaurants in Seoul. I think he's still, I think he's still affiliated with Yellowtail and the Bellagio, but I think, oh, this is going to be good. And my God, it was truly, truly expensive, relatively expensive, and it was pretty much surprisingly bad. Hmm. But all the rest of the restaurants in Seoul were, were, were very good uh, to one super extraordinary experiences, one of the best meals I've had in a very long time. And I could have had my meal of the year for 2020 in Seoul a couple days ago at a place called Mosu. And Sung An is the chef owner. Um, he worked at Urusawa in Los Angeles for mm. a while. Corey Lee was eating there one night. Corey Lee from Bennu Institute, Munster Benjamin. And at the time, he was the CDC at the French Laundry. Mm. And he sees, he sees Sung, and he says, are you Korean? He said, yeah. He said, do you want to come to the laundry and you know do a stage? He said, sure. <laughs> so he did the stage at laundry, and he ended up staying. And when Corey left open Bennu, his three Michelin starred restaurant in San Francisco, Sung followed him and was on the opening team. He knows Nick and Sandra Arnerich. Uh, Nick from The Laundry, who was a runner at the time. They own Renata. Nick and Sandra Arnerich own Renata in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, Sandra was on the opening team at Bennu. Yep. So they're all buddies. And then, you know, Sung worked at a couple of other places. And he finally opened his own restaurant in San Francisco called Mosu hmm. on Fillmore Street. And he opens up. Michael Bauer, the then San Francisco Chronicle reviewer, comes in. <laughs> it gives him two stars. And it kind of crushes him. Two out of four. Two out of four. In New York Times, two out of four is actually good. And, and for Bauer, two stars, not good. <laughs> and so, you know, Soon had a, a restaurant that could probably see 20, 18 to 20. He'd have like two at night. And thinking, oh, God, I've got to close. But he said, oh, oh, wait around till Michelin comes, you know, releases in October. Huh. So October, November. So he kind of hangs around a couple more months, comes anything, you know, maybe I still have to close. The day Michelin comes out, one star filled, filled. Every that's night. all it took. Oh, one, that's all it took. One star. One star. But <laughs> it's not a big restaurant, like I said, 18 to 20 a night. Yeah. Filled every night. But then this opportunity came along in Seoul, and he took it, went back, you know, to, went back home. And, oh, my God, Mosu is just a gorgeous restaurant. I have no idea how much that build-out costs, but it's, it's really, really nice. He, they, like, for example, one of the unusual things, and I, I had created an Instagram post about it, um, Soong had a custom turntable sound system created for the restaurant. He couldn't find anything on the market, so he had to go to New York City, and someone built him this, this system. And it was he plays vinyl during during service and it's it's a gorgeous setup the restaurant's gorgeous and the, what kind of vinyl what kind of music uh dave brubeck oh yeah uh so at the time central was, valley california jazz yeah a little <laughs> bit uh i didn't look at the whole vinyl collection the the food it's an open kitchen so you see Sung and his team work doing service that's kind of cool but the food it's just considering how much food i ate it was my second to last meal, my trip. So I had 
a lot of twos and threes and one star experiences in Seoul. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is, you just tell. It's just like night and day. I'm thinking this, the food is distinctive, creative. You can see my Instagram posts. Mm. They're beautiful presentations. Um, they're, they just kind of fell out, fell off the, they were just very different than the other food I ate within Seoul, which made it so refreshing. That's what we were talking about, Mosu here. Yeah, Mosu. Yeah, his uh, plating is very distinctive, very yeah. architectural, lots of triangles and yeah. cool shapes. And the food was just tasted delicious. Execution mm. was high. Huh. He deserves three stars. He deserves to be in the world's top 50. It was it was absolutely wow. fantastic. I'd be shocked if this isn't my meal of the year for 2000. This would have been my meal of the year. If I had this in 2019, this was supplanted Blue Hill Stone Barns for number one meal. Wow. This That's is cool. so good. Um, tell me a bit about what disappointed you about uh, Dosa. I don't think you posted any photos from. Uh, that, you won't you? see any posts. Po- I just not going to. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm trying to. Amateur, I'm thinking about our, uh, our our meal at the uh, our most disappointing meal at in Mexico City, which was probably sued seven seven seven. Was it better or worse than that? Oh God, much worse on infinite scale. <laughs> this is so bad. I mean, it, it's not like things were cooked improperly yeah this execution of these dishes were just so poor and it was so expensive and uh, i just i don't know what happened um it was just i was so sad mm. it was so much worse than any of the meals i had uh, any of the other meals i had in seoul mm. um but what was interesting about seoul is they're being impacted by coronavirus they only have a few cases reported in in seoul but the Koreans are so germ. I've been told by other Koreans <laughs> that they're germophobic, yeah. and like the restaurants are getting killed. Like I, some one chef asked me, "You could tell how busy we are by how busy Mingles is, even during a weekday lunch." They asked me how busy was Mingles. I said like five people were there during lunch. Wow! And they said, "Oh my God, are you kidding me? That is usually full and packed yeah. even for a weekday lunch." Huh. And they said. Because he knows what he's going through as far as his restaurant, I only saw a couple of semi-full restaurants during my time in Seoul, and forget about it, Hong Kong, like Hong Kong, forget about it. Unless you're, well, yeah, forget about it. Even Sushi Shikong, which is three Michelin-starred sushi restaurant in Hong Kong. Yes, there's eight seats. There are five of us, so that's you know, sixty uh, percent capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How was that? It was very, it was really good, but very expensive. Guess how much just the food was? Just the food. Well, high end sushi, I would probably peg it at like 250 bucks. About 450 bucks. Oh, I didn't know. I thought it was going to be like 200. They sent me like this thing, this is how much it's going to be, but it said lunch, nigiri, lunch, nigiri. Uh, it said lunch in nigiri. So I thought, oh, I'm going for dinner. This this number may not be right because it's like around $250 US. I think, oh, okay, maybe this just going to do lunch at dinner. Maybe that's what it's going to be. But no, I got the bill at the very end of the meal. And, Ooh. you know. Is that the most? No, that's not the most expensive sushi meal you've had. Oh, God, no. Like Iraqi. Yeah. Even Iraqi is, oh, it's a long. Iraqi. And Masa, Masa in New York City, and Iraqi in London, and in Tokyo, probably really uh, they're in the six seven hundred range. Oof. Um, in fact, Iraqi, 
there's a rumor. See, Rocky had a place, three mission star in Tokyo. He, he opens in London because I was told recently, the reason he moved to London is because his daughter was still going to school in London. I said, oh, well, I'm going to follow my daughter because I got to watch over her. <laughs> so I got to open a place in London. So he got three mission stars in his London place. Oh. And then he left his number two guy in London. Then he moved. I thought he moved back to Tokyo. But when I was in Hong Kong, I found out, oh, he's in, he opened in Hong Kong like a couple of months ago. And I'm thinking his daughter probably got a job or is going to school in Hong Kong. That's why he said, oh, I better go open up in Hong Kong. And I'll probably get three Michelin stars in Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, the, the Iraqi is like everyone talks about Iraqi as being like the guy. Well, it, 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 it must be hard to uh, eat anything when you're wearing a flu mask. I mean, uh, were there people at restaurants wearing the masks and they like lifting them up and eating like, like uh, characters in The Watchmen? No, no, they all they were all, the people behind the kitchen counter were wearing masks, but uh, most of the diners wow. once they got in the restaurant were were would take their masks off, as did I. Huh? Yeah. But yeah, I had in Hong Kong. This is my third time in a year and a half, and it was. Food was great. Yeah. I mean, I could just like walk into a restaurant and say, got space? That, that did happen where I walked into two Michelin star restaurant called Arbor. Um, and that was actually one of the, I didn't realize it's one of the, it ended up being one of the busiest restaurants that I ate at on my trip because I went during lunch on a weekday and they did have a table for me, but within an hour, every other table is full except for one, I think. And that was, one of the only restaurants that was close to being full. And it was a weekday lunch. And it was a, it was a solid meal at Arbor. I enjoyed my meal at Arbor. What, but, did you, what did you make of Mingles? We weren't actually able to get in when we went to Seoul three, four years ago now. Um, it was definitely, even then, kind of the hot spot if you're looking for, like, elevated cooking that's not French or Japanese influence, that's, like, sort of rooted in Korean food uh, and Korean cuisine. Um, so what did you make of it? Uh, I was told that it is the most popular restaurant in Seoul, even to this day. I believe that. And um, it was my second meal in Seoul. I thought I would be truly blown away by it. I thought it was really good. Everything was properly prepared. I didn't. I wasn't blown away by the dishes. I didn't say, "Oh my god." You know, you take a bite, you're thinking, or you look at the dish, the dish comes, you think, oh my God, that looks amazing. Hopefully it tastes as good as it looks, as it did at Mosu. But at Mingles, everything was really good. But I go two Michelin stars, which what is what they have. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's like one. What, is it the 79 best restaurant in the world? Is, is where it's ranked currently? Wow, that's high. Uh, no. But I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my meal. I would go back again. They had makgeolli, which makes me really happy. And <laughs> which they're one of the right two now. places that I could get makgeolli in places that I went to. I didn't say like, oh, I'm only going to makgeolli places. But yeah, I, I enjoyed my makgeolli. There and Michael's house because yeah. I had some in my fridge. It's a little bit old, but <laughs> still got a little, it got a little, little fizz to little, it. A little fizz to it. One of the most exciting things for me about visiting Seoul was, was actually Makgeolli because we, I barely knew what it was before I got there. And as a beer fan, I did a little Googling and exploring like, oh, let me check out like Seoul's craft beer scene. And I, I went to like, tried to find this one tap room that was hidden away on a second floor and I either couldn't find it or they had closed. And then there was like the hot brewery was run by a British expat and I wasn't really that interested in that. 
And then I just kind of, we just kind of randomly walked into this Makkali bar and it had, it was like exactly what I was looking for, even though I didn't know it. It was very, had this like really rustic vibe. They had like farmhouse tables that I think had been imported from Britain for some reason. But there were, you know, instead of just having like one or two makgeollis, like you might find at a Korean restaurant in the United States, they had a whole menu. And some of them were like small batch makgeolli that that the owner had gone down to some farm and the farmer had made it himself or whatever. And it, I, there were sour makgeolli. So like, like you see sour beer and is a big thing in, in the beer world. And these are like weird, fizzy, milky, uh, fermented rice beverages that just had this like amazing, you know, bacterial tartness to them. Um, and they were served with um, like joan, like pancakes. But instead of those kind of large uh, uh, baking soda-y uh, pancakes that you see in America, these were like silver dollar sized individual pancakes and each one had some like little seasonal like uh, 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 oysters or, or zucchini or you know whatever happened to be in season when we were there um, I was like totally blown away by this experience and it felt like walking into Belmont Station here in Portland like right. one of the great craft beer bars in America um, only it was this beverage that I knew little about and since I came to learn that Makgeolli is looked down upon in Korea as a uh, sort of an old man drink. Although there is a new generation of like hip hop stars and, and people who are have and young people who are embracing it and making it kind of cool again. But I experienced the same thing you did where you walk into a fancy restaurant and they might have one or they might have none. And they seem a little embarrassed to even be asked the question. But yeah, but, but <laughs> the final dessert at Mingles actually was makgeolli ice cream. Which was <laughs> that's awesome. See, right? that's why people love it because it's, you know, they're doing that thing where they're, you know, right. riffing on uh, Korean food. How, was it was is like I, I had it at Mingles, which is two Michelin stars. And I had Leon, which is three Michelin stars, and it's, the bottles are going to be very expensive because they're really good makgeolli. <laughs> yeah, um, and, but I also had it at because I asked, I walked in to Mosu, I said, "Do you have makgeolli?" And I said, "No," but then they brought out. They brought out mock. They brought out makgeolli for me during the meal. I said, "Surprise! It's, it's not on the menu." <laughs> we went to Seven Eleven and got you a green plastic <laughs> no, bottle. No, there's this uh, this this lady who makes makgeolli for, and she only gives it to like two or three restaurants in the world because she's very particular about who gets her makgeolli. Mm. And like one of the um, staff brought it in for uh, Sung to try, huh. and they still had some left, so they gave me a couple of cups of it. It was oh. it was ridiculous. It was fantastic. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. So that's, I did have it at three places. One when it really wasn't on the menu, but yeah. Did you make it to Jungsik, Seoul? Yeah, I did. Yeah, what did you think about that? Again, I liked it better than Jungsik, New York City, because mm. when I went to Jungsik, New York City, JP, who was the original chef de cuisine, had left to open Atto Boy, right. and later opened Atto Mix. Right. And I love Atto Mix. Um. Yeah, I, 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 again, I, I, I enjoyed Junksik. Um, there's some dishes that I was very impressed with, uh, especially you know the first dish with multiple courses. That was kind of fun. But yeah, that is the best thing they do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was, I felt that way, and it was the most again rooted in Korean flavors right. of everything you got. Um. Yeah. I, I like I said, I I thoroughly enjoyed Seoul. Um. There's a chance soon I might come to the United States to do a collab dinner. I maybe would Ooh, go. Breaking just, news. 
Well, you, he, we don't know. We don't know <laughs> if it's a fact yet. But if he does, I consider depending on when it is, I consider flying to where it would be, and then flying back. So it'd be a day trip. So mm-hmm. yeah, New, New York maybe. We'll see. Mm. Uh, in the United States, somewhere a day trip as a venue. I could I could go anywhere. I could, I could do a Chicago day trip. I did a Chicago day trip for a collaboration dinner once. Can you tell me the highlight of Hong Kong? Yes, CZ. Zamber. Richard Ekebus's, uh restaurant in the Mandarin, uh, Landmark Mandarin Oriental in Central District in Hong Kong. I'd been once before in July of 2018. Loved it then. Thought it actually deserved three stars then. What does it have now? It's still at two stars. They did a renovation for like four to five months. They closed. This this last December is the first time they've been reevaluated since the renovation, and they still kept two stars. Hmm. I just felt like the execution of the food at Amber has been stepped up a bit from the last time I I I um, went there, and I only I had two dinners. That night, once one at Shikon and one one at Mono, which I both love. But um, so I said I, I just want to do the three course, and because I'd been there before, I thought oh three courses plus bites would be good. And they sent out nine dishes, so <laughs> they blew me out. And not that's not the reason I love them, but that's not the reason it gave me more a chance to see more of their dishes too. And it it truly was a fantastic meal. Again, one of the, one of the better meals I've had in the last in a very long while. So I think they should get three stars this year in December. We'll see. Um, and they're in the top 120. I think they were like 101 on the world's top 120. It's a pretty dramatic restaurant. It looks a bit like, uh, it's got that, like the four seasons in New York. It has the, the, the sort of sticks coming down from the ceiling, like Philip Johnson's famous oh, uh, interior. The renovation must have cost, God only knows, $20 million. 15, oh, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, it looks. What different. is it high up in the hotel? Yeah, twenty sixth floor. Yeah. Uh, uh, Shikon, the funny thing is, Sushi Shikon and Amber are on the same floor. I'm sorry, it's the seventh floor. They're on the mm. same floor in the landmark Mandarin Oriental. Mm. Shikon's on the right. You go out of the elevator, you take a right. That's Shikon. You go left. It's Amber. So mm. it's five Michelin stars in one floor, one small floor <laughs> in the landmark Mandarin Oriental. Whoa. You and know, Michael, you, yeah, yeah. You, you, well, you did some traveling. I did, I did. I want to talk about that, but I also just oh. wanted to briefly mention that my most eye-opening food experience in Korea was uh, the fried chicken. And I just went to a few places that were recommended. Um, we did a little hill walk up behind the Blue House, which is like the White House of, of South Korea, and uh, went into some place that was recommended. And I really do think that Korean fried chicken is a little bit of a you know cliche but i really do think they make the best fried chicken in the world really yeah i just love it i love the double fry technique i love that if you walk into a good place you're gonna get the whole damn chicken like we had um you know there was like the back like the back what came out with everything else so you're not just getting you know american go to places like oh here's here's your fried chicken it's like Really like dry breast, oh, yeah. no bone. It's like get the heck out of here. Obviously, America has great fried chicken too. I would point to uh, New Orleans, uh, Willie Mae Scotch House, for example. Um, Dookie Chase is like one block away from each other. Two of the best fried chicken restaurants in the world. But just by and large, the style of Korean fried chicken is so good. And then you come back to America and you realize that. Everything that's called Korean fried chicken here in the U.S. bears very little resemblance to what you get there. It's usually just like 
wings with um, sriracha on top or wings with a, 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 a chili sauce on top. So I it, do like Cho's. That was a bit disappointing. I do like Cho's KFC, Korean fried chicken. It's, it's, yeah, very, it's uh, very different than Cho's, right? Yeah. Cho from Hanok. Cho, yeah, Cho. Yeah. A, a recurring character on this podcast, Peter Cho. He makes, um, well, it's changed over time, but he makes basically the, the bigger sized full three-piece chicken wings with dried ramen spices on them and they do have that sort of shatter crisp uh delicious thing that you know that you're looking for with korean fried chicken i think he does a good job of it it's not it's not quite the same again it's just wings but you know i, I regret because if this was going to be your my year of fried chicken which may or may not turn out to be not I anymore buddy not anymore i god i feel i didn't know like i even if i knew would i have gone out of my way i don't know by the way there's no google maps in in Seoul, that just I know why I read why you can go on Google to find out why there isn't Google Maps, but it freaked me out. Like I got lost like a couple of times. So I was like dealing with a South Korean map app that just I didn't understand it. Oh, I got yeah. lost a few times. I feel like it I, it freaked me out. So I basically went to my hotel, ate the restaurant, then from that restaurant I came back to the hotel and slept and just did that for like seven days, back and forth, back and forth, and um, so. Yeah, I regret not. Well, I don't know what I could have done. I would have liked to have tried some Korean fried chicken. I didn't go. I yeah, I don't. Ah, know. You might have gotten sick if you'd gone and done the street food in Hong Kong or uh, 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 well, even in South Korea. There's some cases of coronavirus, right? Well, yeah, a few. I think you're probably smart just to stick to these like uh, bubbles of like high end hotels and restaurants. Korean yeah. fried chicken. It's not. It's not. It's not street food, is it? It can be, yeah. Oh, okay. You went to restaurants. I went to restaurants, but they were, you know, chill. You know, people were drinking big bottles of beer. And yeah, I should. I wish I could. I didn't. I didn't know. I. Oh shit. I knew it would be good. I, Better I, get I, back on that plane, buddy. We don't want you here anyway. Multnomah County's calling you to get, get you to get me out. Fly out. Yeah, of here. the United States wants me out of this country anyway. We went to one other restaurant in Seoul uh, called Reunique. R Y U N I Q U E. I don't. You went this time. But is it still starred? I, I couldn't find no, it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have a star anymore. Lost its star. Oh, I didn't know it had a star. Well, I, I, maybe I should have known it had a star. But I went just because I heard it might be good. Yeah, and it was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we felt too. Yeah. One of the dishes had uh, uh, like a like a three month dried chicken breast that you shaved over stuff as if it was like parm. I didn't get that. That was weird. Um, okay, yes, I did do some traveling, and I went to visit an old friend who moved to Minneapolis. Um, he actually moved to St. Paul. And, um, you know, this was a, a trip where I kind of wanted to go, and um, uh, uh, I wanted to do some cross-country skiing. And Minneapolis is like the uh, – I'll have some of that Macaulay, please. Um you know, Minnesota is filled with uh, Scandinavians and they do love their cross-country skiing. And it is kind of the hotbed of cross-country ski culture in America. And during the Winter Olympics, the most recent Winter Olympics, uh, a woman from Minneapolis named Jessie Diggins was part of a two-woman relay that won the first ever gold medal for the U.S. in cross-country skiing in any uh, of the many, many events that exist in that sport. And after she won, she worked to bring a World Cup event to American soil, uh, which will be held in March in um, Minneapolis. And it'll be the first time that uh, like a, you know, world level event has been held on U.S. soil since 
I think 2001, so almost two decades. And I went to the facility where they were going to do it, uh, where they're going to hold this event. And it was pretty remarkable. Um, I know everyone comes here for my cross country skiing takes to this podcast, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, it was, it looked like a really nice, like downhill ski facility, but it was just for cross country. And I went out, I had my uh, one-year-old strapped to my uh, chest on one of these like baby Bjorn sling things. And my God, it was cold. It was like, I mean, we got there, I think it was negative five. Oh my God. And then the wind oh. chill and people were telling me I'm an idiot for going out with the baby. So everybody survived, but I did come home uh, and I, I was sick when I got home. So you went to China and oh. didn't get sick. I went to Minneapolis and got, it felt like a flu. So uh, here I am was not coronavirus, but uh, we did have to cancel. We were going to record this pod two weeks ago, and we had to cancel because I was in bed for two days. Um, while I was there, I went to maybe not quite as many restaurants as I'd hoped to. I, I missed out on Hai Hai. That was the mm-hmm. sort of Southeast Asian, Vietnamese Loved it. place that I, I really wanted to go. I had reservations and had to cancel the last second. Um, I did end up going to um, Young Joni, which is a Korean pizzeria. And I thought it was great. It's a really, really nice restaurant. Um, a lot of Minneapolis restaurants have embraced the sort of live fire cooking and they go big. You know, I think you walk into a restaurant when it's negative five, it's nice to come and see this like hearth that's just like glowing with all this wood. And there they make really good pizza that happens to be stopped with like bulgogi or you yeah. know, other, you know, Korean dishes or Korean meats. I thought they did a great job. I thought it was great pizza. I thought the toppings worked. Reminds me a bit of um, like Zappa Zappa Pizza here in oh. Portland where they're putting Mexican dishes on top of pizza. It feels like maybe we're coming to a point where you can kind of put anything on a pizza. And you I know. enjoyed it. Like I, 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 I don't know if I like Young Joni as much as you. I went in 2000, May of 2018. I liked it. I didn't love it as much as you loved it. Yeah, we had a great time. I, I liked the um, – there was like a bibimbap salad starter. I thought that was really good. There was a sweet potato starter that was really good. That felt like uh, something you might pick up on – on the street in Seoul, actually just like a little, uh, yam that's been roasted next to Coles. Um, and the pizzas were good. And the other big meal we had while we were there was we went to spoon and stable, which I know was a candidate for your restaurants of the decade list. Yeah. Yeah. As a influential, influential important. Yeah. It certainly has been in, in Minneapolis. Right. I mean, there's no question about it. So, um, we had a really excellent meal there. Um, you know, and I I like that they the same way we were talking about Mingles uh, referencing Korean cuisine. I like that Spoon and Stable referenced Minnesota cuisine. I mean, the the main course that I had was a pot roast, so I mean that felt very Minnesota. They did have some game meat on the menu, and um, you know, I just thought it was a really beautiful space and a really nice meal. Um, I don't know where it would fare in. Michelin, you know, maybe a star or so. Let's be a star. I yeah. really, really, really love Spoon and Stable. Yeah. The pastry chef's been not... Well, Gavin Kaysen, the chef owners, won a James Beard Award, regional James Beard Award, not surprisingly, for what he's done in Minneapolis. But their pastry chef um, doesn't... My, the name doesn't come off the top mm. of my head as quickly as it should. It's fantastic, too. She's been nominated multiple times for a James Beard Outstanding Pastry Chef. Award. She's very deserving to actually win. I enjoyed my um, my d- multiple desserts when I went to Spoon and Stable back in May of 2018. Is it Diane? Yes. Mua M O U A. I'm not sure how to say her she, last yeah, name. Yeah, it's a married name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. 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 
Well, uh, we did have a dessert, and it was absolutely lovely. So I thought, uh, I don't know if Diane was in the house that night, but it was uh, obviously, you know, her creation. And it was now delicious. she's got, like, three restaurants. She has, does Gavin, like, uh, Belcour in yep, St. Paul. Belcour, yeah. not, it's not in St. Paul. It's in Wyzetta. It's west of Minneapolis, actually. Wyzetta. And then Deming, which is the restaurant I'd love to go to. Yep, and that's next on my list. I, it's funny because I, I went to Minneapolis, and you know, I, when I know when you travel these days, you're sort of like looking for, well, could I live here? And I, I did think, you know, I'm a, I, I, I've, my wife is obsessed with the band Soul Asylum, and I love the replacements to like '90s rock bands that came out of there, and you know, Prince came out of there, and I know there's a developing beer scene and I thought well let's look around and maybe we'll fall in love with this place where you know now my best friend lives there you pile in the cross-country ski scene man the cold was so brutal I mean it was so cold and you know like I said negative five you throw in the wind chill you know we're probably getting down to negative 20 you could see like ice crystals like floating in the air like diamonds and uh I really, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do that for a week, let alone months. And then getting sick on top of that, obviously, put a real damper in things. And during the summer, it can get very humid. You better love mosquitoes because... <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> no, really. Then like July, August, get used to mosquitoes. My, my French just said, do not come until May or June. And then I probably would have fallen in love with it and, you know, wanted to move there. But yeah, the, as, the I don't want to go back now. You oh. know, I don't really want to go back. I'll go back for Demi, I guess. And Travail. Yeah. But, you know, uh, we don't we haven't been talking about sports lately, but it is interesting that uh, the basketball team I follow most closely, the Warriors, just traded. Uh, one of their star players, D'Angelo Russell, to uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves in Minneapolis. For where, Andrew Wiggins. For Andrew Wiggins, where D'Lo uh, can play with his good friend, Carl Anthony Towns. Cat. And, man, I, I did think about this. Like, he's flying out there. It's actually like 32 degrees there right now, so not so bad. But, man, he doesn't – I don't know if he knows what he's in for in terms of the cold. Like, it could be – Give me a $140 million contract. I'd be okay. <laughs> I'll deal with it. I, yeah, I, you know, we'll, 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 I mean, yes, yeah, so I would. De- I, I, I revise my statement. I would definitely live in Minneapolis if you paid me twenty-seven million dollars a year. Yes, but this will be a this will be a fun NBA season. It's, it's not going to be that exciting in the West. It's going to be Clippers versus the Lakers, and we'll see how that how that series goes in the Western Conference Finals. Because Marcus Morris going to the Clippers, it makes it the best bench in the NBA even deeper. Montrezl Harrell, Sweet Lou Williams. And Marcus Morris coming off the bench. Good luck, Lakers. <laughs> Wait, are you not a Lakers fan? You, no, I, I, are you yeah, anti-Lakers? Not, not, not really. I'm definitely anti-Lakers. I'll, I'll yeah. admit it. I, I, and I'm curious what happened. You know, I'm curious what the Warriors will do. I mean, they're building. You know, they should rest. We, we talked about this. They should, they should really rest, like, Thompson and Curry until next season. They have the worst <laughs> record of the NBA. And right now, even though, you know, it's James Wiseman, the seven foot one former University of Memphis center who played like five games, but he went, he went, he went like 19 points and 10 rebounds a game, seven foot one athletic block shots. He, he fit really nice with the Golden State Warriors. Oh yeah. They still call the Golden State Warriors, even though they're in San Francisco. Well, that's Golden State. I I want to see Steph jacking up threes. It's my favorite thing in the NBA. Oh, I miss God. it. And it's been kind of a long season without him. And they've, they've probably held him out for at least a month longer than they would have if, they had been competitive. You uh, made a good point about 
the draft. Right. Is, it doesn't really matter as much if you're last place or third to last place or fifth to last place. Like the difference in terms of your chances of getting the number one pick goes from 14% to 10% or something. So 10% is like at number seven or eight or four. something like that. So, yeah, I mean, you have to be like a pretty good worst shot. Or something like yeah. That. So, so, so if Steph comes back and they rattle off 10 wins and they end up in, you know, third or fourth to last place while other teams are tanking, it's not that bad. They'll oh, still have know. a pretty good shot at number one. There's a whole bunch of teams like around 13, 14, 15, 16 wins. Yeah, but the Warriors are like, what, 12 right now? 12 wins. Oof, but it, I think the Knicks are at 13. Also, it, it won't be Steph and Clay and KD and Draymond. It'll be Steph and Wiggins and maybe Draymond every other game and a bunch of G League guys who right. they signed because they traded all their players away. <laughs> they, did, they did a good job of that. They traded them. See you, Glenn Robinson. See you, Alec Burks, even though you just scored 20-something Alec Burks. <laughs> uh, see you, Willie Cauley-Stein. Well, and now they avoid the uh, repeater luxury tax, which could have right. cost them $40 million next year. Yeah, this is this. It's I, all about I, next year, right? I, I know. I'm excited to see the Warriors next year. The, the question is, can Wiggins, you know, if he's not the number one scoring option, if he's number three, can he play hard on defense? Can he cut? Can he do the little things as a third star? Uh, or you know, well, if he can do that, then maybe he can be pretty good. If he's he been, can't, he's been a disappointment so far. If right? he can't, Draymond Green's gonna be yelling in his face. Every single minute of the day, 24-7. Do you want that? No. Then you play hard. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that. This will be fun. Lakers, Clippers, and the Warriors next year. Fun. And Houston's always entertaining just because now they're going small ball. Oof, big time. Yeah, they, 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 they traded Clint the Capella to uh, Atlanta. And they got back Robert Covington from Minnesota. Right. One of their better players. But the Lakers, they played the Lakers last night. Juan... And they, their starters were average six foot seven inches. I mean, the, the tallest player, right? the tallest player was six foot seven inches. Yeah. I think it was. I think Covington was the tallest player last night, and they beat the Lakers. That's amazing. So I, I don't think it's going to work long term. But this small ball thing, <laughs> it could be onto something. Yeah, we'll see. Tony's always ahead of the curve. Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> over. Glad you could join right. us. Gary has coronavirus. Watch out, Milan. <laughs> Gary's coming for you. Bye, all. Feel better, buddy. Thank you. I don't feel bad. I feel perfect. I'm in perfect health. Okay. Bye. Bye.